You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number nine, excuse me, and the conclusion of our series called Back to the Basics, and we have really enjoyed this series. We spent, as you know, nine weeks on it, and we've covered a lot of different basic things, basic truths from the Word of God that we need to be stirred on so that we can uh, stay on top of them. Let's look at our foundation scripture uh, for this particular series found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, reading from the Passion Translation. It says, this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. You know, I believe the reason that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this is because human nature is we always want to move on to the next thing. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you can't just discard everything. You have to, uh, the truths that we've heard, the principles from the Word of God, you need, just need to add to and keep compounding. But the thing is, don't forget them and don't let them slip out of your life because if you do, like the Scripture says, you'll begin to drift off course. And so we want to stay on top of these things that we have heard. So that's why all throughout this series, we've been endeavoring to stir our hearts regarding basic truths from the Word. I like to do this every summer and, you know, just to keep us on top of some things. And so we've talked about faith. We've talked about how to believe God. We've talked about how to pray the prayer of faith. Uh, we've talked about forgiveness. And, and uh, we've been talking the last uh, two or three weeks about love and how we need to walk in love. Matter of fact, let's look and see what Jesus said about this thing called love. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new suggestion I give to you, that you love one at what? Is that not what it says? What does it say? A new uh, helpful hint? No, a new commandment. You know, and as we've said, you know, in the New Testament, we kind of, and maybe rightfully so, because in the Old Testament, you know, there were so many commandments that the people had to live by. So we've kind of thought that, yay, I got born again. I'm in the new covenant. I'm living with Jesus. I don't have any commandments. Yes, you do. You've got one. And uh, we're getting ready to read it. And, and if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you are obligated to obey this commandment. All right, so what is the commandment? This is the commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also uh, love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so this is a point we've been making over the last couple of weeks, and that is this. Jesus gave us a commandment. Everybody say commandment. To love one another. So you and I are required to walk in love. Somebody says, well, I don't know how. Well, uh, if you've attended and, and listened to the last uh, three, four weeks of these messages, you've learned. Now, here's something, and I've told you this before, but something that's a little dangerous about coming to a church like ours that preaches the word 
is that once you've heard it, you're accountable for it. I know that's not the most exciting thing because you'll never be able to stand in the presence of the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I never heard that before. Well, guess what? You've heard it, and so now you got to do it. Amen? Well, thank you for that overwhelming response. Praise the Lord. All right, let's look at this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, and God was so good that he gave us this commandment to love one another, and then he put the wherewithal to be able to do that down on the inside of us. In other words, he took his love, a portion of his love, and put it down inside it. Paul, inside us. Paul said this, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been, past tense, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, you know, we studied when we were looking at the faith portion of this series where God deposited in us a measure of the God kind of faith. Well, you had the, a measure of the God kind of love put down on the inside of you. And as we've looked over the last few weeks, just like it's possible for you to have great faith, and, and use that faith before the Lord, it is possible for you to walk in great love, to have great love. Now, just like you and I will never arrive in our faith walk, in other words, you're never going to get to a point this side of heaven where you can say, you know what, I don't need to develop my faith anymore. I don't need to study and meditate on the Word of God anymore. I've got all the faith that I need and so forth and so on. No, uh, you will be growing in your faith from now until you get to heaven. And then I still believe you'll grow some in it once you get there. But the love of God is the same way. You and I have the potential to learn how to walk in love and grow in that love. And you and I will never arrive to a place where we can say, I know everything there is to know about walking in love. Uh, because how many of you know, as long as we're in this earth and we're dealing with people, we're going to have opportunities to learn how to walk in love more and more. Amen? Okay. So anybody in here, you don't deal with people? Okay. I, don't, I didn't think so. All right. So you meet that requirement. So we all have the love of God on the inside of us. Say this after me. I have the love of God, the God kind of love down on the inside of me. It's already there. I just have to let it out. Amen. All right, so let's look at a little bit of this, talking about a comparison between natural human love and the God kind of love. All right, so let's look at this. Natural human love versus the God kind of love. If you're taking notes, write these things down. All right, here we go. Natural human love is selfish. Natural human love is selfish. Talking about the love that we have in our human nature. By the way, in the, you know, the English language, we, we have one word for love. You know, we, we say, I, I love pizza, I love being outside, and I love my mama. Well, hopefully you don't love your mama the same way you love pizza, okay? <laughs> So what you need to understand is, is that in the, the original language, there's varying degrees of this love, but, and different words for this love, and we'll talk about the God kind of love more in just a second, but human nature, the love that everybody has is basically selfish. You know, when, when people that don't understand walking in love and, 
and uh, walking with God. They get into relationships most of the time. Now, we don't like to admit this, but a lot of times we're in it to see what we can get out of it. Okay? And that's the natural human love that is selfish. All right? So let's, uh, let's draw a contrast. And the, the God kind of love, the God kind of love is not interested in what I can get, but interested in only what I can give. Okay? The God kind of love is not interested in what I can get, but only interested in what I can give. So it's completely opposite from the natural human kind of love. Again, natural human love wants to see what I can get. The God kind of love is interested in what I can give. Everybody say give, okay? The third thing that is a difference between the natural human kind of love and the God kind of love is this. The God kind of love requires corresponding action. Corresponding action, not just words. Natural human love will tell you all day long, I love you, I love you, I love you. The God kind of love proves it by action, okay? In other words, uh, it, it's bigger than just words. It's bigger than just saying something. So let's look at a very familiar portion of Scripture all right, John 3, 16. Everybody knows this verse. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, wouldn't it have been wonderful if God had said, you know what, I sure do love you guys. Oh, I appreciate you guys so much. I, I just, I, I love you. I think about you all the time. And uh, I know you're lost and you're going to hell, but I sure do love you. You know, that would have been good, but that's not the God kind of love. The God kind of love carries it further and applies action to it. And notice what God did. He said, for God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. So God took it a step further than just words. Now, he does say he loves us in the word of God, but he displayed it with his actions because he knows words can be cheap, but actions prove everything. So God demonstrated his love for us. And uh, if again, write this down, please. Jesus performed the greatest act of love by going to the cross for us. Jesus performed the greatest act of love. He proved the love of the Father by going to the cross for us. Okay, so God didn't just put words out there. He proved it by going to the cross for us. Now, there's something about Jesus going to the cross that I want you to understand, okay? Look at this. Write this down, please. Jesus had to put to death his will and what he wanted so that he could give God what God wanted him to give, and that was his life for us. Now, you know, I, I want to I say something, and I, I want you to hear me carefully. 
Jesus desired to fulfill the will of God. He wanted to please the Father every opportunity he could. But Jesus was also 100% man at the same time he was 100% God. And so what we see is, is as he was drawing close to the, the reality that he was going to have to go to the cross, it began to really set in on him what he was going to have to endure. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove this to you with the scripture, but he, his flesh did not want to go to the cross. He wanted to please and obey God, but his flesh didn't want to go to the cross. Let's look at some scripture. Uh, let's look at Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. It says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. What was he sorrowful and deeply distressed about? It was the burden of, of dying on the cross. Now, you do, need, you, you do understand that what Jesus did was just so much greater than just enduring the death on the cross. It was the spiritual part of it is really what he didn't want to have to experience, and that was this. He took upon himself our sin, your sin, my sin, and because of that, it caused him to be separated from the Father for the first time in his eternal existence. And when the reality of that began to come in and dawn on him, it caused him to be sorrowful. It caused him to uh, be deeply distressed, the Scripture says. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And then he went a little bit further and he prayed and fell on his face and said, look at what he said, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, when the reality of what he was getting ready to do was setting in on him, he, he went to the father and said, if there's any other way that we could do this, but notice what happened. After he said those words, then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus had to surrender himself to the will of the Father and put to death his will and what he wanted. Okay? Now, somebody says, well, why are you telling, this, telling us this? And, and here's what you need to understand, and I write this down, please, and this is probably one of the biggest points of today's message, and that is this, love will require us to give up what we want for the sake of what someone else needs. The God kind of love will require us to give up what we want for the sake of what someone else needs. So Jesus had to come to a place where he surrendered his will to the Father's will. He gave up what he wanted because we needed him to go to the cross and endure what he was going to endure, okay? Now, this might sound a little familiar to you because this is what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, you might, might recall, and we'll look at some scriptures, 
where Jesus told his disciples that they were going to have to take up their cross and follow him. Now, that Jesus was not implying that you and I were going to have to die a martyr's death on a cross in order to follow and be disciples of Jesus. No, there's something deeper in what he was giving us here. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, Jesus was not talking about physical death in these scriptures. What he was talking about is denying yourself and crucifying your will on the cross. Because notice what he said. If you try, verse 25, if you try and hang on to what you want, you ultimately are going to lose. Okay, so the God kind of love requires us to give up what we want and our way and fighting for our way and our wants and, and it's all about me because I need to be focused on the needs of someone else and meeting those needs. And I'm going to tell you something. That is not going to feel good. Sometimes you're going to want what you want. And, and you know, and, and maybe rightfully so. But, and you might feel like you're justified in wanting what you want, but if it's not for the betterment of someone else and meeting someone else's needs, then it's not the God kind of love. Now, somebody said, boy, I, I, maybe I should have laid out a church today because this is really real. All right. But what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take up the cross. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. He said this, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. You and I are going to have to die every day. When you wake up in the morning, make up your mind, Lord. And, and you can just pray a simple prayer. Lord, not what I want today, but what you want and help me to demonstrate your love to someone else. Now, look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. The scripture says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So, by the Holy Spirit, Paul is telling us we need to act like God. Okay? How does God act? Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and what? Given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Folks, I, I've got some good news for you today. The Christian life is all about you giving up what you want for the sake of the Father's will and for the sake of someone else. And I'm, 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 I'm telling you, and there's a reason Jesus likened it to going to the cross because it is not going to feel good sometimes. You're not going to want to do it. But you're going to have to do what Jesus did and surrender yourself to the will of the Father and say, Lord, 
not what I want, but your will be done. Okay? So, I've got a great promise for you as a result of this. All right? Now, the good news about Jesus going to the cross, paying the price for us, you know, the Scripture makes reference, and it says that, that he was able to endure the shame and endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. You know what enabled Jesus to be able to go through everything that he went through for you and for me was the fact, listen to me, that he knew it was not forever. Matter of fact, let me give this to you. Write this down, please. Every crucifixion for Jesus is always followed by a glorious resurrection. Every crucifixion for Jesus is always followed by a glorious resurrection. What does that mean? I can promise you, based on the authority of God's Word, when you make the decision to crucify your flesh and crucify your will and give up what you want for the will of the Father, I promise you there is a resurrection coming your way. Isn't that good? Because Jesus will never require you to give up something that he doesn't replace or enhance it with something better. So when we are required to love people as God loves people and, and we are required to operate in the God kind of love which seeks not what I can get but what I can give to someone else, then the hope that we can have and the joy that we can have in doing that is knowing that there is a glorious resurrection ahead for me. Amen? Amen. All right, now, love serves, okay? Now, here's where uh, I'm getting ready to help all the married couples in our church, okay? I'm getting ready to give you some free marital counseling. So even if you aren't married and you desire to be married or, 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 or actually this will work in any relationship, but as promised, as I said to you, I'm going to help you have a marriage made under heaven. Anybody interested in that? Okay. All right. <laughs> Write this down, please. Here we go. The God kind of love serves others. It serves others. So not only is it expressed in what I can give, but it's expressed in my service to other people. All right? Let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. It said, but Jesus called the disciples to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Okay? So Jesus is telling us this is the way the kingdom of God works. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to lower yourself to become a servant. He goes on to say this, uh, verse 44, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. 
Now, I know that's a sensitive word uh, because of culture and, and our history and so forth, but it's the truth and it's a principle uh, that what we must be willing to do is if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to be willing to lower our place, to uh, lower our position to a place of, of servanthood and becoming enslaved to someone, okay? Verse 45, <coughs> excuse me, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the love of God requires us to not pursue what we can get out of life, but to see what we can give in life. And not only that, it requires us to serve other people. Now, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Say it. Serve. Say it one more time. Serve, Serve one another. Now, I, I'm a, let me just say this. If you want to have a marriage made under heaven, here's what you do. You have a contest in your household to see who can outserve the other. I promise you, I know that sounds oversimplified, but I promise you, if you go at it with that hard attitude, that I'm going to do everything I can to serve you, then I promise you, you're going to have a relationship that's like heaven on earth. Why? Because all selfish motivation goes out the window. In other words, I'm no longer in this household, in this relationship, trying to see what I can get out of it. I want to see what I can give into it and what I can do to serve my spouse to make my spouse make their life better. Am I helping anybody? Now, you want me to... <laughs> Free marital counseling, I told you. Okay, Because here's what I have found out as a pastor. In the couples that I have talked to, both in premarital counseling and those that have come in to talk to me, um, you know, that are having troubles in their relationship, here's what I hear a lot of. I, 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 me, 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 they aren't, okay? And, and, and so what I find is, is that very few I've never had a couple come in to talk to me that's struggling and saying, you know what? I'm just doing everything I can to serve them. And the spouse says, you know, I'm doing the same thing and we just can't get along. That doesn't add up. In other words, I, I don't live in this relationship to see what I can get out of it, to have my desires fulfilled and all of that. And then the spouse says the same thing, but yet we just can't seem to make it work. No, every time, every time there are issues, it's because somebody doesn't feel like they are getting what they want or need out of the relationship. Hallelujah. Okay. 
Now, let me take it out, since I can just sense your enthusiasm, talking about the marriage relationship, let's take it to church for a second. Oh, pastor, I just, I feel like the Lord is calling me to move on because I just don't feel like I'm being fed anymore. And, uh, you know, you, you ask them, well, what are you doing? Are you serving anywhere in the church? No, no, no. You know, I'm faithful, but I just don't feel like I'm being fed. I'm just not growing anymore, okay? And, uh, you know, and, and trust me, I've, I've had that said to me, okay? And so what we have to do is we got to change our mindset a little bit, even where church is concerned. We've got, if we're going to do it God's way and love God's way, then we're going to have to come to church with an attitude of it's not about what I can get out of this service, but it's about what I can do to serve and to give in this service. Because the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, we won't look at it for the sake of time, but Ephesians chapter 4 says that a body, a church, will grow as each person makes their supply as a, as a joint and brings it together and the body becomes fitly joined together in that way. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with you coming to church and, and believing God to minister to you. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But don't let that be your overwhelming heart motivation every time you come to church, it's, it's all about what I can get and not about what I can give, all right? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it, it's still true nonetheless because what you need to understand is, is if you will enter into a, a, a church environment, your home environment, even your work environment with an attitude of, I'm going to do everything I can to add to this situation and serve and give, then, then all of those environments are going to improve for you. They're all going to change and become better. All right? Look at Galatians 5.13 again. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, I was very surprised when I looked at the word serve in the Greek language. I'm going to show you something. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9, but now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? What's interesting to me, the same Greek word that's translated in Galatians 5.13 to say serve one another is translated bondage in this verse right here. So what that tells me is you are going to serve someone somehow, some way, all the time. Now this scripture is saying, you know, why, why are you going back to the weak and beggarly things of this world and putting yourself in servitude to them? Now, on the positive side, what that means is that the love of God requires us to put ourselves in bondage to serve people. Man, what would it do for, for your job if everybody on that job showed up? Now, I know everybody's not a Christian, but if everybody showed up with the attitude of, 
I'm in bondage to serve this job, this place, to make this company better or this work environment. Or I'm in, I, I'm, because I'm a believer and I follow Jesus Christ, I am obligated to be in bondage to serve my church. Okay? Or I'm in bondage to serve my family, to serve my spouse. You know, we, um, we like to talk about, you know, in our country, and thank God for our country, even with its issues, I still think it's the best nation in the whole world. Uh, you know, we talk about being free and having freedoms and so forth, and thank God for that. And in church, you know, in our lives as believers, we talk about how we are free. You know, if whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But what we do is a lot of times is we forget that in that freedom, we're still in bondage to serve Jesus and to serve what he serves. And he serves people. Am I helping anybody? Y'all are very, very quiet this morning. All right. So let's do this. Let's look at what is the love thermometer or the love gauge. So, you know, I, I, I used to hear somebody, you know, a minister say this, and I think about it now, and I was like, man, anyway, he, he used to stand up and say, I have perfected the art of walking in love. And I'm like, okay. Uh, not a good thing to say, sir, okay? Because you're probably a long ways from it. You're probably farther away from it than you realize. But Anyway, here's the measuring stick, in other words. Here's how we gauge how we are walking in love. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 in the Amplified Bible uh, because it just it makes it so plain. Here we go. Love endures long and is patient and kind even in Charlotte traffic. Even at Walmart. Can I just say something here? I am so grateful for self-checkout at Walmart. That is a miracle under heaven. Because, I, you know, I don't understand. I, you know, I've never worked for Walmart. I don't, I've never known anybody. Well, yeah, I have known a couple people that have worked there, but not in management. But what is the thought process behind on your busiest day, I mean, you physically have 25 registers built into the store, but you have two open. Anybody else feel that frustration? Okay. So that's why I was glad when they added self-checkout. Praise the Lord. But still, it requires you sometimes to endure long and be patient and kind to love, love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy of that coworker who got that promotion and you didn't. It is, it is not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride and says things like, I have perfected the art of walking in love, Okay. It's not rude and unmannerly. Now, can I say this? I have to work on this just like you do. 
I'm not preaching this because I have arrived. I have not. I'll be the first one to tell you, I have to work on all of these. It is not rude, unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly, doesn't tell that person that cuts you off in traffic that they're number one. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Boy, that flies in the face of culture today, doesn't it? Okay? It says love is not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, we talked about forgiveness, and I'm not going to, you know, go back over that again, but I will say this to you, and, you know, I didn't put it in your notes, but if you want to make a note of this, love, the God kind of love, does not keep score. Another helpful marriage tip, okay? Love, the God kind of love, does not keep score. So, you, you know, and listen, some of us have memories like an elephant, you know that? Where we can remember what somebody said to us 25 years ago, and we're still mad about it, okay? Quit keeping score. Let go of that, all right? Next, it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Here's a huge, huge, huge one. Is ready ever ready to believe the best of every person. Can I say this? It is ever ready to believe the best of every person, not just the people you like. Again, flies in the face of our culture because our culture, social media, the news media, television, you know, all media aspects are designed to get you to not believe the best of people. You know, you hear something on, on TV about somebody, and whether you know them or not, that is not a qualification. But when you hear something about someone on TV and, and it's not good, okay, our response ought to be, you know what? I'm not going to be moved by that. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to believe, you know, there's an old saying, charge it to their head and not their heart. If somebody says something and it's not quite right, you know, we're the, uh, our culture is the first ones to rise up and want to cancel them from the face of the planet. Why don't we take a moment, take a deep breath and say this within our hearts, maybe it is being presented not in the way in which they intended all right, but love believes the best of everybody. Now, if somebody came to me and told me something negative about y'all, I absolutely am not going to believe it. I, I know, I just refuse to believe that. Not because I'm dumb, not because I'm naive, but because love believes the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances and it endures everything without weakening Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Now, as we wrap this up quickly, 
then that brings to bear, if I'm supposed to, to walk in the love of God and the love of God requires me to give and the love of God requires me to serve and the love of God requires me to crucify what I want and my desires and my flesh, then what about me and my needs? Legitimate question, okay? I want to give you some scripture and give you some promises to help you understand something. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. This is preacher's favorite scripture to quote at offering time. I do it, okay? But if you look at the context in which this scripture was presented by Jesus, money was not in the context. Forgiveness, um, love, judging, those things were, okay? So Jesus goes on to say, give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you again. Here's my point. When you serve your spouse, when you serve your job, when you serve somebody and you love people with the love of God, God has obligated himself to take care of you and your needs and what you need in order to live a fulfilled life. Let's look at Galatians 6, 7 through 9 in the Message Bible. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. One translation says it doesn't matter. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. If you sow love, you're going to reap love. If you sow service, you're going to reap service. If you, if you sow kindness, you're going to reap kindness. If you sow judgment, you're going to reap judgment. If you sow criticism, you're going to reap criticism. It doesn't matter. If you sow finances, of course, we know the Bible teaches that we'll reap a harvest. But, but we focus on that where seed time and harvest is concerned, and we forget that it's anything that we sow. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvest a crop of weeds. I'm just going to look right here and I'm going to ask this question. What are you harvesting? Are you harvesting some weeds? Is it, could, could it be because you're planting some selfishness? I mean, I have to ask myself the same question. Okay? And we'll have to show, and he'll have to show for his life, it, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. You know, again, going back to when I've had discussion with, with couples in, in, in uh, you know, uh, counseling sessions and so forth, trying to help them in their relationship, you know, that's a question that's brought up. Well, you know, what about me? You know, what about my needs? What about what I want? Okay? If you're willing to crucify that, God has promised you he'll resurrect it somehow. And if you sow service and God's love to people, you will reap a harvest. 
In other words, God has got you. Uh, it is impossible for you and me to walk in the love of God and come out on the losing end. Okay? All right, so write this down, please. When you sow love by serving others, God will see to it that you reap a harvest. Do you think God's a liar? No. Do you think he'll do what he says he'll do? Okay. So you can serve, you can crucify your flesh. You can crucify what you want to have happen, okay, knowing that you're going to reap a harvest. All right, last thing that I want you to write down is this. And we said this last week. Love always wins. Love always wins. Say that with me. Say love, love always, always wins. Say it again. Love, love always, always wins. Every time. Love always wins. It may take time. It, it, it may not happen next week. But I promise you, love always wins. 1 Corinthians 13, we read it. Love never fails. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. And uh, I'll put this on the website for you. But uh, I want you to get you an index card or a piece of paper or something. And I want you to write down 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, what we just read. The measuring stick, the gauge. Okay, keep it in your Bible, and I want you to read it aloud. This is your homework. Read it aloud every day and make it personal, okay? Well, you, you can do something like this. Say this after me. I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. I am not rude. I am not self-seeking. I keep no record of the wrongs done to me. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I never give up. I never lose faith. Am always hopeful and endure through every circumstance. I do these things because they are love and love never fails. Love always wins. Amen? Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this today? How many of you are lovers? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you, Father that the word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you, Father, that Jesus said it's like seed. And I thank you, Father, that it has fallen on the ground of the hearts of the people of this church. And I thank you, Father, it will produce, to har produce a harvest. And that, Father, we will allow the word to grow up in our lives. And, Father, I thank you we make a renewed decision today to walk in the love of God to be the people that you want us to be and to love people the way that you love people. Father, help us to see people the way that you see them. Help us to have eyes of compassion and mercy and grace. And Lord, look to people with the desire to want to see their lives different and better because of the gospel and the word of God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that the love of God is already on the inside of each and every one of us. And we release it right now. And we let it uh, bear fruit in our lives, Father. And we allow it to manifest itself in a great way in our lives. And Father, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. Lord, I thank you that in Jesus' name, because love never fails, we can never fail. I thank you, Father, because love always wins, we can win, Father. As long as we stay in love and we walk according to your word and we thank you for it. Now, Lord, I praise you and thank you and, and just ask you to continue to move in every single life represented here. Father, I thank you for those that might be in need of healing this morning. Thank you for physical healing to show up in their bodies right now. I curse sickness and disease and pain and command it to leave their bodies in Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you right now. Jesus took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and with his stripes, we are healed. And so, Lord, I thank you that the healing power of God is flowing into each and every body physically right now in the name of Jesus to undo sickness and disease, Lord, and to bring about a cure in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Father, and we praise you for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I thank you that every single need of every household is fully and abundantly supplied. I agree with every person here, Lord, that is believing you to move in their, in their families, in their households, Lord. We thank you, Lord that you are at work. As we sang earlier in that song, Father, even when we don't see it, you're moving. And when we can't feel it, you're moving. Even when it doesn't appear that anything is changing, you are still working, you are still moving because you are our way maker. And we thank you for it, Lord, and we praise you for it. Thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you with our whole hearts today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.